0: It is the 8th of October, 1906. You're standing in the dock at Stornoway Sheriff Court and you're hitting a riddy. That is to say, you're more than a little embarrassed. It all happened just over a week ago. Some drink had been taken. John McKenzie, Roddy McLeod and you had been having a few wee sniffers when McKenzie started giving out about the schoolteacher. Clemenson was his name. Everyone knew him. Well, everyone knew everyone. Anyway, Mackenzie was on the school board, and had taken issue with Clemenson not supporting him in the election. He had told you what the problem was, but, nah, the drink makes your memory foggy. So there you are at half past two in the morning, banging on the teacher's door, pulling up his vegetable patches, flower beds, and flinging peat at his roof. Your mother's sitting somewhere behind you with her head in her hands. You're not the only one who's embarrassed. No one could identify McLeod for sure, so he ended up getting off with it. Not proven. A quirk of Scots law that means a jury can think you may well be guilty, but there's not enough evidence to prove it. As for you and Mackenzie, you're not getting off with anything. Twenty days in the jail or a fine of three guineas. Each. You'll both pay the fines. It's the equivalent of about £250 in today's money. The jail time isn't worth it. This is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. It is July 1914, and you step off the boat in Stornoway. It's been days since you left the farm in Punta Arenas, in the very south of Chile. There's a boom in sheep farming out there. A roaring trade in wool and meat which is frozen and sent all around the world. You live among a load of other Scots who are using their experiences on the crofts and the farms of their homeland. Profiting from working as shepherds. The demand's never been higher. And the weather's a wee bit better than your father's croft at 21 Bill Allen. But here you are now, reading the newspaper. They're still talking about that Austro-Hungarian duke that got assassinated in Sarajevo. It's been almost a month since it happened, but they're still talking about it leading to war. Your summer holiday on Lewis wasn't going to be interrupted by any war between two countries you'd never visited, and you helped your dad out in the croft during the day, and whiled away the evenings drinking with your old cronies. The court case and the injured pride of the schoolteacher were bygones for the most part. People still seemed to whisper about you when you turned your back. Malcolm Martin you imagined, they'd say. The one that ran off to Patagonia for chucking Pete at a schoolhouse. It is March 1916. You've been stuck at home, on a windswept isle helping your father tend sheep for more than a year. The outbreak of a war between two countries you'd never heard of has escalated quickly. The world seems to be on fire, and reports that you read from the fronts make the war sound like an unappealing prospect indeed but a likely prospect it is. Your conscription papers have come through. You weren't one of the Lewis and Harris men who ran out to sign up when Britain declared war on the 4th of August 1914. After all, you had sheep to get back to in Punta Arenas. When war broke out, you couldn't return to your adopted home in South America, since Chile and Argentina were hotbeds of diplomatic and naval intrigue. The Panama Canal had been closed to shipping, and therefore, There was no choice but to sail round the southern tip of the continent. Prime hunting grounds for German U-boats. Your papers arrive when conscription is introduced in 1916. You're desperate to get back to Chile, or at least to get out of the firing line. Who can blame you? The stories from the front are horrifying, and screeds of casualty names are in every newspaper you pick up. The Military Service Act states that if you were over 18 or under 41 on August 15th, 1915, then you were automatically enlisted for the period of the war. There were exemptions though. Illness, conscientious objection, war vital employment, things like that. But there was also an exemption for hardship that might arise from being in active military service. Things like Exceptional Financial or Business Obligations. You submit your appeal on 25th of February. The chairman of the local military service appeal tribunal board's handwriting is neat, considered, and matter of fact in his report. This appellant is a shepherd who came to Lewis on a visit shortly before the outbreak of the present war. He was not, therefore, ordinarily resident in Great Britain on August 15th last, and the Military Service Act does not apply to him. Further, he was engaged in his occupation as a shepherd at Punta Arenas, South America, and when making said visit to Lewis, his intention was, and is, to return to Punta Arenas, where he has a troop of horses and other property. All his property and interests are situated there, and some are now requiring appellant's personal attention. Your appeal is denied on 31st of March, 1916. Suffice to say that exceptional financial or business obligations isn't designed for men with a few horses and property in South America. The same is true for many men from the island who had crofts to look after and also applied for exemptions from military service. Most were denied. Your brother Finlay, though. He's the first Lewisman to join the Royal Flying Corps. He'll be injured at the Somme and invalid at home within the year. If you're enjoying Scotland, there are loads of ways that you can help us out. The first and probably most important one is leaving us those ratings and reviews on your podcast app of choice, if it allows it. Second, you can follow us on social media. If you share the episodes on social media, that helps a lot as well. Especially since we see so much less of one another these days, it's harder to recommend things in person. And, of course, you can support us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. You get access to loads of fun stuff from Scotland, including merch, early episodes, bonus episodes, readings of things, and whatever random stuff we decide to throw your way. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash Scotland history podcast. Enjoy the rest of the show. You find yourself in the Royal Naval Reserve. Compared to being up to your knees in mud and rats on the Western Front, it's a pretty cushy number. But your life in South America weighs heavily on you. Under the sun, with your sheep and your horses. Hard, honest work that you loved. Malcolm Martin. Wrong place at the wrong time. Getting drunk with Mackenzie and MacLeod in 1906. Wrong place at the wrong time. Visiting your parents and your brothers and sisters in 1914. You're assigned to HMS Pembroke, a shore station with a number of auxiliary vessels that you shunt between, working as a deckhand, keeping out of trouble. Sometimes you go out with a fisherman. These fishermen don't catch fish. It's a naval euphemism for the crews of the minesweepers, who go out to try and clear German mines. It was just like catching fish, though. You used wires instead of nets to drag submerged mines to the surface, and then, instead of hauling them in, you used ship-mounted guns to detonate them. It's dangerous as all hell, but it's one of the more interesting assignments. Still, it was a fair bit safer to just see out the war scrubbing decks and maintaining ship exteriors at Pembroke. And that's what you do. 11am on November 11th 1918 rolls around and passes, and the war comes to an end with an armistice. It's not as simple as everyone throwing down their guns, or in your case your mop, and heading for home. It takes a bit of time for discharge papers to come through. Some of those in service are retained, but for hundreds of Lewis and Harrismen, in one form or another, it's time to go home. It is Hugman A, 1918. You're standing on the dock at Kyle of Lochalsh, among sailors and soldiers. Hundreds of you, all delighted to have made it home. A few of you have taken a drink. Okay, more than a few of you have taken a drink. There are almost 1,000 men from the island who aren't there. They'll never make it home. You drink to their memory. There's a ferry in the harbour, loading soldiers aboard. The SS Sheila. The naval officer is pretty sure that she'll end up overloaded in time for sailing so a call is made to send another ship from Stornoway to carry the sailors home. Two more trains arrive as you stand on the harbour, watching a converted yacht pull in. The Eelora, Gaelic for eagle, and so frequently mispronounced as Iolair that it becomes its name, is loaded up quickly with sailors who are keen to be the first foot of their loved ones on New Year's Day. She sets sail in high winds, 283 people packed on board. The wind continues to howl and the weather gets steadily worse and worse until the Isle Air is just a mile or so from Stornoway Harbour. It's almost 2am. You can see the lights of home. All the captain of the ship has to do now is guide her through the dangerous rocks known as the Beasts of Home and then bring her in and let the triumphant men go home. She turns away from the wind, just a second too late. There's a horrible, crunching, grinding noise as the Air makes contact with the rocks at full speed. It doesn't take long for her to sink. Seven Harrismen, 174 Lewismen and 20 crew members lose their lives in the icy waters. 79 will survive. Some cling to the mast, which sticks up above the waterline all night. You are not one of them. Malcolm Martin. 38 years old. Wrong place at the wrong time. Getting drunk with Mackenzie and Macleod in 1906. Wrong place at the wrong time. Visiting your parents in 1914. Wrong place at the wrong time. Along with 205 of your brothers. On New Year's Day 1919.
1: No one now alive in Lewis can ever forget the 1st of January 1919 and future generations will speak of it as the blackest day in the history of the island. For on this day 200 of our bravest and best perished on the very threshold of their homes under the most tragic circumstances. The terrible disaster at home on New Year's morning has plunged every house and every heart in Lewis into grief unutterable. Language cannot express the anguish, the desolation, the despair, which this awful catastrophe has inflicted. One thinks of the wide circle of blood relations affected by the loss of even one of the gallant lads, An imagination sees those circles multiplied by the number of dead, overlapping and overlapping each other till the whole island, every hearth and home, it is shrouded in the deepest gloom. The Stornoway Gazette, 5th January 1919.
0: You've been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. Additional voices in this episode were by Chris Moriarty and Leanne Milne. The music for every episode of Scotland is by the human minesweeper Mitch Bain. You can check out more of his work at mitchbain.bequiet.media. Jamie Mowat does stunning illustrations for us, which you can see in our episode art. See more and buy prints at tidlin.com. Scotland is supported by Chris Lingwood and listeners like you on Patreon. You can get loads more from us for as little as $2 per month at patreon.com forward slash Scotland History Podcast. You can find out more about the show on our website, that's scotlandpodcast.net and on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Thanks for listening. Look after one another. Wear a mask.